I want to uh, go on the record, and I will be on the record because this is videotaped. So <laughs> I'm on the record whether I like it or not. <laughs> um, the last weekend of December, we are not having a Saturday service. Now, I am speaking to you folks, so you should know this. If you show up on December 30th, or it be the 29th, I won't be here. I will be with my family or doing something different than this. And, uh, but I will be here on the 30th. And here's what we're going to do for the 30th. We're moving to that new format of services. So we're going to go 9, 10, and 11. I'm going to try to, and I've never done this before, I'm going to try to preach at all three services. So we'll see how that goes. So I'm going to preach at the 9, then I'm going to drive over to UD and do 10. And then I'm going to, because I said, UD people, I said I was going to be there live. I'm going to get there by hook or by crook. I'll get there. Now the question is, will I get back here for the 11? That's a whole other story. Uh, somebody was saying, well, what if you get your speeding and you get pulled over by the police? And I'll say, well, that will be kind of an interesting conversation to have with a police officer. Sir, I need you need to let me go because I need to preach a sermon. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so on the 30th, 9, 10, and 11, and I'm going to try to do all three services. We, we have a number of, of cool things that are uh, taking, going to be taking place beginning of the year. Uh, I had mentioned quickly about the 90-day reading plan. And I hope you'll pick one up. Starting in January, if you start in January and you read uh, with this plan, you can get it at the Connection Center in the cafe. Um, if you read through this, uh, you'll be like right around Easter when you're done. So uh, the whole New Testament, and it's pretty straightforward. It looks like two or three chapters a day. you know. And you get a, a there's three or four or five days of, uh, where there's no reading, you'll get, you'll get done before Easter. So it's very doable. I hope that some of you will take me up on that challenge. I'm going to do it, so I hope you'll join us. Now, our passage that we're going to look at this weekend tells us that Jesus came from heaven to earth and was born as a baby. And we get that. We've read that passage, probably heard it since we were kids during this period of time that we call Christmas and it says there that this baby was going to save his people from their sins. Now, when I think of babies, I think of them as soft and cute. I think of that they're innocent. But I also think that babies are fairly powerless and quite helpless. So how in the world could a baby help, let alone save anyone? And that's the crux of what we want to look at this weekend. So the passage we're going to look at is very familiar. It's Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you go to page 733 in the chair Bible, you can follow along with me. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, page 733. And this is where, the, this is where we want to begin this weekend with our text. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be uh, his mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. 
But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you will are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet, through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relationships with her, relations with her, until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now, the incarnation, and that's a big theological word, and the word incarnation just means that God became man, that God took upon himself human flesh. That's what incarnation means. And so the incarnation has a a number of implications. The first one is that it means that Jesus was no ordinary baby. He was no... Now, I know that some of you young parents think that your baby is extraordinary. Good for you. Sure. Okay. But I'm talking about an extraordinary baby, and Jesus was no ordinary baby. Now, our passage says two critical things about Jesus. First... It says that he will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So we have to say, what, is that, what does that mean? How, what is that, how does that play out? And then it says he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, why is this important? I want to sometimes during these messages, I want to use them to help you because sometimes you're in a position where you're trying to share your faith and you, you, there's some doctrines that are pretty cardinal, pretty significant, pretty... I use the phrase, I would die for these doctrines. There's certain things, you know, like when is Jesus going to come, you know, home, uh, back to earth and get his church. I don't know. And if you put a gun to my head, I would say, I don't know. It's not super important to me. It doesn't... It just says be ready. But there's certain doctrines like the deity or the godness of Jesus that if you said... Deny the deity of Christ. I'd say, pull the trigger. I can't do that. Now, that's what we're talking about here. Now, the Jehovah Witnesses, and some of you know them, you work with them, they may be your neighbors, you may have family members who are Jehovah Witnesses. They are not Christians. They are not Christians because they, here's what they teach. And you could look this up. This is very easy to find. They teach that Jesus Christ was a perfect man, Uh, and that he uh, is a person distinct from God the Father. Those are true. Those are true. However, they also teach that before his earthly life, Jesus was a spirit creature, Michael the archangel to be exact, that he was created by God, and that he only became the Messiah at his baptism. They also teach that Jesus Christ is not co-eternal, he's not co-equal with God, They essentially teach Jesus is not God. 
Now, they'll play word, picture, you know, word games with you and all that stuff, but they essentially what they are saying is Jesus is nothing more than a created archangel who took upon more significance when he came to earth. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, that's not what our passage this weekend teaches. In Matthew 21, 23, it says Jesus will be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. The word order of the Greek is very significant. Now, when, when the Greek language and the New Testament was written originally in Greek, Koine Greek, was the, just think of it as the common language of the time. It was translated, obviously, and now we have it translated in English. But the, when, when Greek wanted to make a point, when they wanted to emphasize it, you know, well, we emphasize things now, we bold it out, right, or when we're, we're talking about. But what they would do in Greek is they would change the word order. And they would take the word order in, in, and put it in a different. And, and, and the word order here is the essence is that the, the, the writer here, Matthew, is saying that Jesus is God, put, you know, neon, underline, bold. He's saying he's deity, he's God. There's no question about it. Emmanuel is God with us. And so clearly he's saying that Emmanuel is God, that Jesus is Emmanuel, therefore Jesus is God. He's not a created being. He never had a be- He has no beginning and no end. I don't understand that. Okay, there's a whole bunch of things about God I don't understand, and that's okay. There's a whole bunch of... I don't have time to go down this this bunny trail, but I'll go down there just for a little bit and then we'll jump back, okay? Can we stop with this whole, I have to understand it before I believe it? There are so many things in this world that you do not understand, but you believe it. There are tons. Your doctor tells you that they're going to do some kind of treatment, and you can't even explain it to somebody, but you say, yeah, go ahead. Okay, what's that? Well, you're trusting the doctor, you're trusting medicine, you don't understand it. So we do this all the time, but it's interesting that when it comes to God, no, I have to understand everything before I'll believe that. Really? Where'd that come from? All right, so now I'm coming back off that bunny trail, sorry. So, uh, so, so Matthew's making a pretty significant point. He's saying this baby is not just any ordinary baby, he is God. God has taken on human flesh. The incarnation. God has taken on human flesh. Now, if this isn't enough, look at the life of Jesus. I mean, you can go through the Gospels, and what's he doing? He's healing people who are sick, he's casting out demons, he's forgiving sins. Who forgives sins? Even the religious leaders go, well, who can forgive sins except God? He's he's receiving worship. You know, if you read, it's interesting when you read through the book of Revelation. John sometimes is coming across an angel, and he begins to bow down to the angel, and he says, "No, don't don't bow down to me." But when Jesus is bowed down to, he never says, "Don't bow down to me." He always receives worship. The question is, who does this? Who heals sick people? Who who uh, casts out demons? Who forgives sins? Who receives worship? God. God does. All through Scripture, Jesus clearly is not shying away of who He is. He is God. Now, why is this so critical? Well, because we have a monumental problem with sin. 
And we can't be our own Savior, even though we, we try. And God just can't forget and forgive sin. You know, you may say, well, why, what's the big deal? I mean, why did God have to send Jesus to, get, to shed His blood and give His body? Why, why did Jesus have to become a sacrifice for our sins anyway? Can't God just forgive? Well, think about that for a minute. Let's say that you go outside tonight and one of your friends comes up to you and slaps you across the face. And you go, what are you doing? And they slap you again. And you go, again, what are you doing? And I walk up in the middle of it and I say, it's okay, it's okay. And I walk up to the person who just slapped you in the face and I say, I forgive you. If you were the one that got slapped, you'd go, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. They didn't slap you, they slapped me. I'm the one that's offended. I'm the one that's going to forgive. Do you know what every one of your sins, who it offends, and who it has been against? It's been against God. He's the offended party. He's the only one that can give forgiveness. He's the only one that can say, it's over, it's done, it's paid for, it's complete. And that's why God, you know, and God has a plan for how it's going to be taken care of. Um, so, in a sense, God has a plan, and His plan is that Jesus would come to earth. We can't pay our debt. We can't reach heaven on our own. So heaven reached down to earth in the form of a baby. God provided the only way for us to find freedom for sin and the forgiveness. His name is Jesus, and He will save His people from their sins. Why? Because we can't save ourselves. His name is Emmanuel because God is with us. Not only will He save us from our sins, but God Himself will come to earth and be born as a baby. Here's the second thing we see about the, the, uh, this passage. That Jesus willingly chose to fulfill His mission. John in his gospel tells us about the incarnation. Again, that's where God became man. Notice what he says. This is John's gospel, John 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, whenever you see that Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When you see that Word, the Word, Word, that's not too confusing. It, later on, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And John's basically essentially talking about Jesus, okay? So you could say in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus is God. He was God, and He is God. He was in the beginning with God. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory as one uh, as the, uh, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what is John saying? Essentially the same thing Matthew saying, that Jesus became flesh. John is saying Jesus is God. He took upon Himself the limitations of human flesh. 
to save us from our sins. The creator of the universe humbled himself by being born as a helpless baby only to be rejected by those who came, he came to save. And he was put to death as a common criminal on a cross. That's the gospel. And he rose again on the third day. Here's, here's why this is important. Every world religion, every world religion says this. Our founder is a great teacher. Your morality and your goodness is enough to get you to heaven, nirvana, wherever you want to go. In other words, you can do it on your own. Our founder was a great teacher. You can save yourself. Every world religion basically says that. Christianity says, no, your salvation is so dire that God had to come and become a man to save you because you couldn't save yourself. You were drowning in a sea of sin, and without His his help, you would be dead. In fact, the Bible says we are dead to sin until we are saved by Him. Somebody has said, and I think it's well said, if our greatest need was economic, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need was entertainment, God would have sent a comedian or an artist. If our greatest need was political stability, God would have sent us a politician. If our greatest need was health, God would have sent us a doctor. But our greatest need is our sin, our alienation from God, our profound rebellion, our death. And so God sent us a Savior, His very own dearly loved Son. And that's why this baby is significant. Here's the third thing. Jesus jumped the gap between heaven and earth. The book of Hebrew pronounces, it says this, It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And essentially what the writer of Hebrews is saying is if you could step in the presence of God, it would be more, you, would, you would not last a second. A nanosecond you wouldn't last. In fact, when Isaiah got a glimpse of God in Isaiah chapter 6, all he could say, that the only thing he could utter out of his lips was, Woe is me. I am undone. I'm a mess. I'm, I'm lost. I'm helpless. Oh, no. He just said it over and over. Woe is me. Woe is me. But here's the point. In Jesus, God comes in the most innocent and humble way possible. As a baby. Everyone loves a baby. No one is afraid of a baby. Though with all the phobias going around, I'm sure there is one for babies. Jesus, when he walked on earth, was approachable, and he welcomed the children. He ate and drank with sinners. He touched and healed the sick. He wasn't ashamed to be seen with the losers of society. You get that? Jesus jumped the gap that we had no hope of jumping. Now, here's what we often do. We often think that we can jump the gap, that we can make it on our own, that if we do enough, if we... We, we, here's what we do. We try to be good enough. We try to work harder. We try to be better than average. But only Jesus could jump the gap, and he did. And, and, and when he was born as a baby, that's exactly what he did. He jumped from heaven to earth for you and for me. Here's the last thing. Jesus showed us what God with us means. The question is, who is us? 
<laughs> I mean, it says God with us. Well, who's us? Because, it, frankly, there's probably a whole bunch of people that aren't us, right? I mean, we all want to be part of the in crowd, don't we? But how do you get to be with the, in the in crowd with God? I mean, isn't that what it's all about? We, we, the old uh, preachers used to say, have you made your peace with God yet? And essentially what they're saying is, are you in the in crowd with God yet? And people think, well, I'll get to the in crowd by doing enough, being good enough, being better than average, whatever, you know. Uh, but the question is, how do you get to be with the in crowd? Many people think that, uh, well, let me just say this. God is not with people who think they measure up, who don't need help, who think they've arrived. God, that was the scribes and the Pharisees. Do you remember they thought they had it figured out. They thought they had, you know, everything. They figured it out. They followed the law to the letter. You know, even the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, I keep all the commandments religiously. And Jesus says, okay, great. Here's one more. Go sell everything you had, have, and then you come and follow me. And it says he, he walked away sad that day because he was very rich. And essentially what he was saying is, I got my act together. I... I are you kidding me? You, you would do well to have me in your kingdom. And Jesus says, you don't get it. He is with those who fall short, who see themselves as failures, who know they are lost, who desperately need help. I just want to say to you tonight and this weekend, if you feel like you don't measure up, if you feel like you're a failure. If you feel like, I just feel like sometimes I'll, I'll never be good enough, you're ready for the gospel. And by the way, once you receive the gospel by grace and through faith, uh, you don't change and it becomes works. It's still the same deal. It's still the same. You'll still say, I feel inadequate. I feel like I don't measure up. I feel like I fail all the time. And, and I just want to say, that's right, and that's why we need you, Jesus. The song we sang at the beginning. We need you every moment. We need you every hour. We're desperately in need of you. That's the Gospel. That's the Gospel. He is with those who fall short. They have this attitude. This is the attitude they have. It would be like if you were to stand before God and He were to meet you at the gate of heaven, you would say to Him this, You have no reason to accept Me. None. The only thing I have is nothing. There will be no bragging in heaven. Nobody's going to be saying, Well, I deserve to be here because I did this. I, I went to this church or I read these books or I read through the Bible. I read through the New Testament in 2015 for the first 90 days. I, I served in the kids' ministry for crying out loud. That's about the only thing you'd be able to say. See, if you're trying to self-save yourself, give it up. You know you need to come to a place where you need help. You know you need help that you know you fall short, that you need somebody to save you, and His name is Jesus. So there's three applications, and I want to close with these three applications. They'll be very quick. What does it mean that Jesus is God with us? What are the implications of that? Number one, if He's God with us, 
we need to remove the limitations we put out there. we got a lot of limitations, don't we? And what I mean by that is God is in the business of change. And He is in the business of changing you. He is in you. He is for you. And He will work through you. God is ready to do incredible things in your life, through your life, and, and He wants to be with you. That's the whole the communion meditation we were talking about. And the point of it is, is some of you have said to God or to others, or you've let people say to you, your best days are over. You, you've, you've done your best. You'll never amount to much. You'll never be anything. And I just want to say, why are you putting those limitations on God when He says, I will be with you, I will be in you, I am for you, and I will go before you, and I will help you, and I will change you. And so, let's stop limiting what God can do through us and in us. God wants to work in your life. But it's sometimes I, I, I talk to Christians and they've already given up. No, I did this sin. or I, I, Yeah, okay, fine. You did it. Confess it. Now let's see what God can do. Because I could show you other people who could say they've done maybe similar things and worse and God is using them in incredible ways because they just said, I blew it, I sinned, I confessed, He forgave me, now I'm moving on with my life. And God is doing something incredible. And by the way, let me just say that about His church. Can you imagine what God could, would do in this church if we collectively believe that He essentially wants to work actively through us today? I mean, we could look back and say, oh, if we could only be like the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2. Well, we're not. Okay? We're the, by the way, did you know this is uh, 12, 13, 14 today? Did you know that? Anybody? The date? It's going to be another century before that happens. Just a little something to tuck away. But my point is this. God wants to rock this community using Hope Church. Using you and me. He wants to do incredible things in this community. But we put limitations. Oh, we're just... We, hey, let's stop. So if God is with us, and we believe that, then we need to remove the limitations we put. Secondly, if God is with us, look at what He's done to be with you. I mean, think about this. Jesus went to great lengths to be with you. He came from heaven to earth. He made Himself vulnerable as a baby for you and for me. Can you imagine that? He made God, God who created the heavens and the earth, made Himself in the most humble and the most innocent and the most helpless that he could possibly be. A human being baby. That's amazing. He went to incredible... And that doesn't even talk about his life and his death. Right? We haven't even gotten to that. We're just talking about him coming to earth, the incarnation. God becoming a baby, becoming a human being, taking on human flesh. That's all we're talking about tonight. We're not talking about how he lived and, and, and how he died. We're not even talking about that. And what I'm saying to you is God went to great lengths to be with you. What are you doing to be with him? What are you doing to be near him? What is keeping you from Him? 
You say, well, I have this bad habit. I have this sin problem in my life. I have, uh, you know, I'm really busy. I, I just, I can't, find, I can't find the time. Or you're saying, well, I want to wait till I get my act together. <laughs> no, don't wait to get your act together. Get with him, and then he'll get your act together. Together, you'll get your act together, right? Don't think you... See, the, the curse that we, we live in a community of this United States is this religion idea that we have to get our act together to be presentable to God. And I just want to say to you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You don't get your act together. You come to him as you are, a sinner lost, helpless, and hopeless. And then God begins to do a work on you. My question here, though, in this point is this. He has done a lot to be with you. What are you doing to make time to be with him? Are you willing to sacrifice for him? I'm tired at the end of the day. I'm tired. I can't get up. You know, whatever. Stop and look what it cost him. He did this because he desperately wants to be with you. You know, the verse that's often misquoted, Revelation 3, where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I will come in and we'll have fellowship together. Many times that verse is used as a verse of salvation. That Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts, wanting to come in, and then we open the door of our hearts and he comes in. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is is he saying, I came from heaven to earth, and I gave my life so that we could be in relationships, so that I could be with you. I'm knocking in your life. Will you make room for me? Will you allow me in? Can we spend time together? I so desperately want to be with you that I willingly came from heaven to earth and gave my life so that we could be together. And I'm knocking. Would you let me be part of your life? Will you allow me in? So the question is, what are you doing Are you letting him in? Are you going to let him in at Christmas? Are you going to let him in this year? Or are you going to keep having busyness or sin or whatever it is to keep him from coming? Here's the last point. If he is God, then you need to decide what you will do with him. You know, you can't just go around and say, well, I think Jesus is a great teacher and he's a good guy and he performed miracles. Um... You need to decide if He is your Savior and Lord. You know, again, you go back to uh, Luke or Revelation where He talks to the churches in Revelation and He says to one of the churches, He says, uh, He says, you're neither warm nor cold and therefore I just want to spit you out. And he's talking to the church there. But I just want to ask you, he will not allow for a lukewarm response. You either, you either give your life to Him now or one day you'll need to answer this question. Can you imagine Jesus asking you this question? Listen to this. Why did you think you could live your life without Me and now think that you want to live your life with Me? You want to know what the greatest curse of hell is? Is it going to be the flames, the, the agony? You know what the worst part of hell is going to be? That the one desperate relationship that you need in your life will be gone forever. And you'll know it. 
That's the pain of hell. And Jesus is asking us, why did you think you could live your life without me and now think that you want to live with me? Heaven will be a very natural and beautiful place to those who say, I love your appearing. I look for your appearing. I love being with you. It is also going to be a place where God is going to give you the desires of your heart. And if you say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, I don't want to be with him, I don't have time for him, he will say, okay, good. I'll give you whatever you want. But that is a curse. That is hell. So where are you at today? Mary had a baby, right? His name will be Jesus because he will save his children from his people from their sins. He will be called Emmanuel because it means God with us. Do you want to be with him? He wants to be with you. Do you have you ever called upon him and asked him to come into your life and to be the savior that you need? Have you stopped up stop trying to save yourself and say I need one savior and he came from heaven to earth? That's what Christmas is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. May God help us to say today, today is the day of salvation. Would you stand with me and let me pray with you? And Father, thank you for Jesus and thank you that he willingly came to earth and gave his life and rose on the third day. He made himself vulnerable and helpless so that we could find the freedom and forgiveness that only you could offer us. Father, I would pray that uh, those that are here this weekend, that in their hearts they would settle once and for all. Has there ever been a time where I've asked Jesus to come into my life? And if not, Father, I pray that they would pray a prayer something like this. Jesus, I don't believe I've ever asked you to come into my life. I've tried to save myself. I've tried to do enough. I've tried to measure up. But I've come to the end of my rope. Unless you save me, unless you forgive me, unless you help me, I am dead. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. And you're my only hope. I ask you to come into my life and to take away my sin and to give me the freedom that only you can give. As you gave your life to me, I now am giving my life to you. And Father, if anybody's prayed that prayer, I pray that they would let somebody else know that they have taken that step of faith today and begun a journey with Jesus. For those of us, Father, who have taken that step and maybe a long time ago, it's easy for us to get busy, to be involved in so many things and not make room for you. May we understand the incredible cost and the incredible sacrifice that you, you made so that we could be with you. May we be with you. And, and when you come to the door, and thank you, Father, that, that Jesus comes to the door gracefully and lovingly. And he knocks. And he says, do you have time for me today? Can we be together today? May we, in our day-to-day lives, especially during this Christmas time, not push Jesus aside. May we open the door and invite him in.
and enjoy the presence of Jesus here and now so that when we step into heaven, it will be just like on earth. We ask this all in Jesus' name.